The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Will we be reading out of John 15, verse 12 through 15? Give a second, turn to the page. Verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Twelve years ago, um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, um, John Swekovich, um, uh, passed. And my son recently said, when he he realized the coolness of the Swekovich name, he's like, Dad, how come I got stuck with Prince? Uh, Swekovich is such a better hockey name. Um, and uh, I'm like, yes, yes, that would probably draw better attention for you. But it was um, around the time of my grandfather's funeral, my brother and I met up and we drove from Virginia to Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh, to where the memorial service was going to be taking place. And we left really early in the morning. And most of you know that that are in here have some kind of connection to medicine. Either you're being treated for an illness or you're one of the many that have studying to help treat us for illnesses know that a lot of the hospital shifts are 7 to 7 and 7 to 7, and, and a lot of times that really doesn't mean anything because the hospital keeps you there as long as they need you to stay, and they don't necessarily release you when your, your shift is over and you end up staying a lot longer. Well, my brother and I were um, near um, uh, the border of, of West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland when it all kinds of get, comes together on Interstate 81, and we were following a vehicle in front of us and we could tell that the vehicle started to swerve, and I was like, oh my goodness, somebody's in trouble in front of us. And then just as the vehicle got to the shoulder, you know, a lot of times um, the guardrails start down at the ground, and then they gradually come up, and then they're about wheel well high, you know, the guardrails. And so the car's tires hit that perfectly, so that the tire rode up on the guardrail, and the, and the vehicle was traveling with one set of tires on the top of the guardrail, and the other set on the side of the road, and, my, and I was like, oh my goodness, my brother's name is Earl, and we were kind of like yelling our names at each other, like as if that was going to do something, but what do you do when you know something bad's about to happen, right? And so then eventually the tire didn't go towards the road, it went to the other side, and as soon as the front right tire dipped off of the guardrail, the vehicle went nose over tail like three or four times before it disappeared off the embankment. So... I immediately dial 911, and we're obviously in a part of the country where cellular towers are a little bit more sparse, and so the connectivity wasn't quick. So by the time we got the vehicle stopped, where it had disappeared over in this embankment, I, uh, the phone finally was starting to pick up. So I had my seatbelt already unbuckled. I threw my phone to my brother saying, hey, 911's about ready to pick up. And I jumped out, ran down to the side of this vehicle, and it was a nurse, a lady who had just pulled a double. And she had fallen asleep behind the wheel. But thank the Lord, she was wearing her seatbelt. Thank the Lord, she was in a more of a modern car. And so all the appropriate airbag devices had gone off. And, and even though watching her, I was expecting to come up upon somebody severely injured. Um, we, she was able to release the seatbelt, which I was trying to tell her, man, don't move too much. I mean, because I didn't want, I didn't, I have no medical training. I've watched House. Um, but I don't think he's the example of what you should do in medical environments. I like, do I insult her? Do I what? You know? And so, um, you know, but she finally released her seatbelt and, and landed on the backs of her shoulder. We got her rolled out. She came out. Obviously, she was cut and bruised. But one of the images that stands out to me is this, is when my brother and I finally walked her up the hill and we started looking up this cliff, there were dozens of people at the guardrail just watching. Um, and, and it made me think in preparation for this particular teaching leading into friendship. There are a lot of people in our lives that are in trouble. But the safest place is for us to stand and watch. Sorry. Um, 
several of your stories are just rushing. Um, but what I'm finding is, is that the scriptures are very clear that we're to love everyone, right? I mean, you would literally have to, I was going to say be a jerk, but that's probably something I shouldn't say, um, to say that, that the Bible doesn't tell you to love everybody. Because there have been people throughout all different generations that have found ways of trying to say, I'm better than somebody, or I'm more, I have more value than you. And, so, and people have tried to use the scriptures to do that throughout time. But, but when the Holy Spirit really gets involved in our teaching and we really get into the scriptures, we really do find, like the verses that Laura read to us, that even out of the mouth of Jesus is that there's this call to deep intimacy and that deep intimacy and that deep love is for us to be able to extend towards others. And so today is going to be like an introduction to this conversation of friendship. Next week is going to be a really difficult talk. And then we're going to get to Easter because if the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, it means that everything he's taught us is actually possible. All right, I want you guys to hear me when I say all that in one breath. Right? Is that if we get through the hard discussion of how clear the scriptures are about love and friendship and we understand how difficult it really is to live in love and friendship then we will get encouraged on easter sunday morning because if the tomb is empty and jesus is alive that same power that resurrected christ from the dead is available to you and i to be faithful in friendship no matter how difficult the circumstances are in the lives of the people around us. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to us as a church because I want to be included in on this, is some people are incredibly difficult to be friends to. Even as a pastor, there are times when emails come into my inbox and I try to fight the urge to give a power eye roll, right? Because I'm, I'm human. So some of you are a little bit more difficult on me on emails than others of you. Some of you, it's difficult to, 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 to hold off and have a conversation because you never know the weight of that conversation. And sometimes you can anticipate it being heavy. And, and some of you in our growth community life, you know the nights that some people come and the nights that they're not present and the difference that the group is. And that's just being authentic and that's just being real is that some of us are literally in moments where we've tumbled off a cliff. And we're desperate for at least a few friends to run down the hill. But yet, the desire isn't for us to be up there spectating with our phones on, trying to record it to see if we can get a thousand likes on our Facebook page. right? We, the desire is to get in. So we're all called to love everyone always. That's the scriptural mandate. We're going to talk more about this today. We all are facing things in our life that we're praying for. All of you are at some level of life development where you're asking God to give you favor in certain areas. A lot of it has to do with relationships. A lot of it has to do with your work, which really what is work unless you work at home by yourself. It is a work environment of relationships. It's a place where you're always bumping up against people. Most of our life and the things that we're praying for involve people. And the places that we go will most likely involve people. Although I'm doing a wedding for a young lady um, coming up really soon whose husband applies for a job in Antarctica every year. Um, and, and I'm like, see ya. <laughs> um, not really interested. Um, but there are places on the planet where you can go where there's nobody present, but the majority of us are going to be around people. Um, are we, and this is kind of a underlying thought in in all of this, is if we're really focused on Jesus, how much time are you and I praying? How much time are we spending actually reading the scriptures that we've been walking through? One of the things that is nice about Facebook is that it reminds you of things that you did last year at this time, or two years ago at this time, or five years ago. Sometimes that's really good, and sometimes you're like, wow, I've put on some weight. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're just like, wow, these, these things come. But you know, it's like this Sunday is one year from when we had started our Acts serv- a series last year. And we spent a year going through Acts, but I just want to say to us as a church, 
Um, are we still reading in the book of Acts? Are we still reading the scriptures that we've been taught? Or do we turn to them saying, oh, I've already been taught that? Are we meditating on it so that it really gets down deep into who we are so that we can be highly effective in its pouring out of us? A lot of times you really don't know what's in somebody until you bump up against something with them, right? Like some sort of challenge or some sort of experience of joy or some sort of moment where life seems to be advancing, you really get a chance to see what's really inside of people. Are we listening every day for the voice of our Father in heaven or are we only listening on Sundays? Do we, have we developed the rhythm in our life to say, Father, are you, um, are you speaking to me? Are you saying something to me right now? Because if that voice from the Father is in relationship with us, I promise you we are going to be in better relationship with each other. Because there's nothing more important to our Father than heaven than the other people around us. Because we are the people that are responsible for being good stewards of what he said was good. And he's empowering us to do that and he's wanting us to, hit, to listen to him so that we know what, to, what we're supposed to do. And here's a little bit deeper question as we kind of lead into this, but are we, are, we, are we willing to set aside all of our fears for the sake of other people? Um, I, was take, I can't believe this, but I actually took my son to a college for a weekend experience at a university this week, which I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that my son's going to be going to college and, um, sooner rather than later, but we're driving along this highway, and I say to my son, son, look, and there was a man standing on top of a cell tower. I'm not saying he was standing, he was on top of the cell tower doing this, like this is the cell tower, and this is him on top of the cell tower. There's no other bars or poles or anything sticking up. He was the top of the cell tower. And my son and I were like, I'm, I would never do that. Like, I could never do a job that requires me to get more than 14 feet off the ground. And the reason why I know that is because in high school I had a job where I was on a, four, a 15-foot tall ladder where it was an A-frame, and I had to stand on the top of it, and I felt more comfortable on the 14th step, not the 15th step. So I know I can get to 14, but when I was on 15, I felt like my legs were noodles, Right. What would we be willing to sacrifice for others? And are we aware? I want you guys to know this. I think we get so overwhelmed with what we're experiencing, we fail to forget, what, or we fail to remember or to acknowledge that other people are experiencing the same thing. Do you know that everybody in our life around us is thirsty for relationships? We just aren't thirsty for it. Everybody around us, everybody in our life, no matter how confident they seem or how introverted or extroverted I, you know i'm totally content to be by myself everybody is desiring and thirsting for what laura read to us in john chapter 15 do we desire to continue to connect with those around us um Wesley Hill um, wrote a really good book called Spiritual Friendship, and I want to really encourage all of you to get a copy, whether you do it digitally or paperback, whatever. But I think the, the book needs to be read by as many of us as possible, especially in light of everything that we're facing. And we can't get into all of it today, but I, he, he hinted at a Boston Globe article by a lady named Carrie English, and I want to read an excerpt from that Boston Globe article to you as a way of kind of moving us ahead in this teaching today and in this series. Now listen to the title of the article, A Bridesmaid's Lament. Now when you hear that, my first response was, is, oh, I wish I was getting married. Why can't I find somebody that cute and handsome? Or why did he pick her? Right. I mean, that's but that's not what this article turns out to be. Listen to this. I don't know. If, have any of you ever heard this article before I referenced it to you? OK, good. Now, listen to every word in the vows they wrote. This is the this is um, Carrie English saying in the vows they wrote, the bride and the groom gushed about how lucky they were to have found someone who loved them unconditionally, someone who made any place home and someone who was their best friend. And I stood there under the flower-covered gazebo thinking, why not me? And later on in the article, she says, actually, I was thinking, she loves me unconditionally. The house we shared always felt like home, and I thought we were best friends. 
Surely I can't be the only person who feels like weddings are a bit of a rejection. Two people announcing in public that they love each other more than they love you. Don't get me wrong. I love weddings. I really do. Then she continues on. But there's no denying that weddings change friendships forever. Priorities have been declared in public. She will be there for him in sickness and in health till death do them part. And she'll be there for you on your birthday and when your husband has to work late. (laughs) Being platonically dumped wouldn't be so bad if people would acknowledge you, um, acknowledge that you have the right to be platonically heartbroken. Let me say that again. Being platonically dumped wouldn't be so bad if people would acknowledge that you have the right to be platonically heartbroken. But it's just not part of our vocabulary. Now listen to what she says here. This is really powerful. However much our society might pay lip service to friendship, the fact remains that only love, the only love our society considers important, important enough to merit a huge public celebration is romantic love. I urge all of you, this is how she ends her article, I urge all of you to go out, buy some champagne, bake a cake, and throw a fancy anniversary party for your friends, and renew your vows to be there for one another through thick and thin, even after you're married. Do any of you guys resonate with that at all? Single friends, married friends, married friends with kids, all victims of a thing that I call friendship pain. Everybody, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're married with kids. Because look, most churches, and I'm praying that we don't fall into this category, and if you've ever felt this way, I just want to say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive us? Because I don't believe the scriptures teach this, but I do believe that a lot of churches treat single people like they need to be cured. I heard a ch. You know, there, there is... There is power in being single. There is contentment and holiness and God-centeredness and blessings that flow from heaven to singleness. But many times, people that are single stop going to church because they're tired of hearing messages about, well, one of these days you'll be blessed, and one of these days you'll actually get married, and you'll know what real relationships are all about. Any of you ever felt that way at church? Can I just say to you guys, I'm sorry that you've ever felt that way at church. Because that's not what I think Jesus would have ever said to your face. But I also feel badly for our married friends with kids. Because your single friends don't know what to do with you. Because they now have heard you once or twice say, man, I really would like to come to trivia night with you like we used to, but i got to put my kids to bed. And so after you ask them once or twice, what do you stop doing? You stop asking. And your married friends start to feel a sense of loneliness. Like, I made a covenant with you, and now I have a child, but now I've lost all my friends. Because in the church world, we don't know how to reconcile singleness, young married, older married, newly married, remarried, and now married with kids, married with older kids, empty nesters, all this. I mean, we're just like, okay, many churches want to be diverse, Like, we want to be diverse. We want to have people from every nation in our church as long as they're in the same situation. Right? Let's just let us all be single, let them all be married, or let them all be rich, or let them all be poor, but let's not mix it all together. And I think because of that, most of us choose the posture of standing on the edge of the cliff and just watching people in distress. Because if I go over the rail and I go down the hill and I get involved, it's going to cost me something. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be like some episode of a show where the person that jumps into the ditch is, is celebrated and is the first name in the credits as the lead actor. Many times you're the forgotten footnote in those situations. But all of us experience some level of friendship pain. And as I was reading and preparing for this, I cannot tell you how many articles people are currently writing in books that are currently being published on the topic of loneliness. I am blown away by how many people have something to say about loneliness. 
And a lot of people that are writing are writing in the first person, talking to people about their loneliness. They're not writing the books from a posture of how do you fix your loneliness. They're just being honest about how they've been trying. And if it comes from an author that has a focus on Jesus, they're talking to the audience in a way that's saying, I want you to know I am trying to get my worth and my value from Jesus Christ. Like there's this tone of I'm wrestling to figure it out. I'm doing these disciplines of reading prayers and journaling and spending time in nature. And I'm doing all these things. I'm serving the poor. They talk about all the things and the activities that they're doing. But at the end of the day, what they're screaming out in the books is, is I want spiritual friendship. I want people to know me. One of the things that I've been asked to do these last six years is to learn to care for widows. Uh, my wife's mom is now a widow. My mom has been a widow now for six years. And I tell you what, man, I'm learning about loneliness on a whole nother level. And it's another topic in scripture that you really have to turn a blind ear to or, or, an eye, or a deaf ear to and a blind eye to, sorry, um, because Jesus is very adamant that we are to care for orphans and widows in their distress. There's no, like, hey, why don't you think about forming a committee? He just says you have to take care of them. And so I now have two in my life that I'm, I'm responsible to have some sort of stewardship and love towards. And I am telling you, loneliness comes like tidal waves. Loneliness comes in all different forms. And, and the only way you can rescue somebody that is in the shoreline of the emotions and the rip currents of loneliness is to get in the water. And many times, if you've ever been a lifeguard, they teach you, sometimes you have to push the person away or sometimes you have to hold them under a little bit yourself in order to get control of them so you can get them to shore. And where in the Bible does it teach us how long to hold somebody under spiritually to gain control of them so that we can get them back to shore? Because it would be so nice if there was like some sort of Three counts, you know, like, all right, if I step in to a situation with my brother and he's in trouble, if I just hold him for three seconds, it's a hard reset. All the things would go back to normal right away. Like, we want that power off button and then reboot the person. But that's not how relationships work. John chapter 15, Jesus is starting to share with the people around them that there is a way that we love one another. Because people want to know that they're being thought about. People want to know that if their car doesn't start, somebody cares. People want to know that when their plane landed, they got there safely. People want to know that when they cut fresh flowers and put them in their house, that somebody will see them before they die. Like There are people that are craving preparation for relationships, and the church should be a place where people can come together and be a part of that. I love this quote from Wesley Hill in his book. He says this, Though challenged, though injured, though tossed into the flames, though nailed to a cross, a friend always, always loves. Now, I am going to share this because what I'm finding is, is that those are powerful sentences that we rally around but very few of us have the stamina to make that true. And one of the reasons why a lot of people church hop and they spend a little bit of time at this church and then they go and they try another church is that this becomes a reality and it's a lot easier to live in the superficial. It's a lot easier to just kind of know people, but I don't want to have to know people because once I have to know people, then I know what they need, and then I then have a stewardship responsibility towards those people. And I believe it's something that God wants us to, to pursue. We can forge deep friendships because Jesus has shown us the way. We're going to be starting a series in the Gospel of John this, this fall. Because I want us to go back again and look at the life of Jesus and look at it more fully because you and I can look at a flesh and blood example of what spiritual friendship looks like. 
if we, there should be no question in our mind what we do for the people in our lives around us because we literally can take time and look at Jesus and see exactly what it is that he wants us to do. Christ had not only permitted love and friendship, but in this chapter, in John chapter 15, he uses um, a powerful form of endorsement. He goes on to say, in describing greater love, which if my mom was in the room, she would argue with me. She'd be like, nope, friendship is not the greatest love. A mother's love for her son is the greatest love. My mom would argue, she's going to listen to this podcast, and she's going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's saying that about me. And she's going to come to church and want to have the microphone to correct me, but I'm going to say this because she's not standing here. (laughs) Is that... Her love for me is not the example Jesus used to his disciples. He didn't look at them and say, no greater love has anyone had for this than a mother for her son. I mean, because if that was the truth, there's a a prime example of that in Scripture. Did you not hear Mary's song before Jesus was born and the things that she prayed and sang over Jesus himself? I mean, Jesus could have said a mother's love. He could have used that. He could have used the Father's love. He could have said all of that. But in, when he was talking about the greatest of all loves, he used the word friendship. And he says that someone will lay down his life for his friends. Man, it makes a great plaque. But it's really a hard way to live our lives because we want others to invest at that level in us, but we have a hard time wanting to invest in that level in others. All of us want people to lay down their lives for us. But how often are we willing to be the one to lay our lives down for somebody else? Some people will argue that the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about friendship. And I'm going to say I think it does. I think when you look at the Old Testament, which is the Jewish Hebrew scripture side of things, and the New Testament, which is this new covenant, these letters to the early church about what people learned about Jesus and then what they did in Jesus, um, there's so many powerful things. Like in John 15:13, no one has greater love than this than someone to lay down his life for his friends. But then in Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times. So it doesn't say that friends only love when the going is getting good. A friend loves at all times. There's an actual friendship relationship in the scriptures that it's used many times at wedding ceremonies. Which friendship is used in wedding ceremonies on a regular basis? Ruth and Naomi. Um, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Where you lay, I will lay. Where your people are, that will be my people. And it's become this rhythm and this cadence in a lot of wedding ceremonies. But actually, it's between two adult women that aren't related. They're related through marriage, but it's not the same bloodline. And so they have this deep love for one another. And Ruth has so much love for Naomi that she was like, look, I'm going to lay my life down for you. She just used a lot more words than because she was a lady at the time, right? Just kidding. Sorry. Sorry to say that. All right. But the second, let me keep it in the family. Who was the great-grandson of Ruth? We, he actually danced undignified in the scriptures. David, King David. Ruth's great-grandson, David had a powerful relationship with a friend named Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4, let me read this to you. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is before Saul went nuts and wanted to kill David, he he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there, listen to this, there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. Listen, like these vows. This is like, almost like a, a, a ceremony of sorts, talking about that our friendship is worth being committed to. Our friendship is worth us actually giving each other a token of this great love. And he goes on to say, Jonathan um, made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed that pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David and taking his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt as well. But then there's a powerful story in the New Testament, and many times it's just gleaned over really quickly. But how about the portrait that John paints in Jesus' friendship with Lazarus? In John 11, verse 3, So the sisters went to Jesus, and listen to what they said. This powerful sentence, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
So Jesus had obviously shown something to these sisters. This was not a, I'm going to the pastor and saying, you love all your sheep, and so so-and-so is sick, so pastor, go love that sick person. This, these words are there, and then if you continue reading on, John, the writer of the gospel, also wrote a letter to the early church. And who, what, what does he call Jesus in his letter to the early church? It's an emotion, the most important one. Love. He actually capitalizes it and calls Jesus himself love. And so now imagine this, John, back to John 11, he's writing, Jesus is standing at the tomb weeping. So who is standing at the tomb weeping according to John's description of Jesus? Love. Love is standing at this tomb, at this grave of his friend, and he was weeping. Jesus made it possible for scriptures like this, Galatians 3, 27 and 28. Listen to just the truth of how we should be interacting with one another. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have, been, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you all are one in Jesus Christ. So let me, let me just say this. Are there any reasons to be divided amongst us? Please be more confident in that. Is there any reason to be divided amongst us? Do we, do we, should there be a division based upon the shade of brown that our skin tone is? Should there be a division where, on which continent you grew up in? Should there be a division based upon those of you that are educated and those who have no education? No. Is there a reason for us to be hindered in our friendships between men and women? No, because we are one in Jesus Christ. And let me say this, family. There's a real enemy in the world that is at work, and he doesn't want there to be no division. He does not want men and women to get along as one. He doesn't want us to have rich and poor people in relationships with each other. He doesn't want people of different skin tones to love one another, to weep over one another. And if there's anything in this world that the church should be standing up for, we should be standing up for the fact that we are one in Jesus Christ. We should not have that type of division. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 saying nearly the exact same thing to the Corinthian church. He says, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as from the one body, form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we are all given to the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So there are many parts to one body, and that is what we should be striving for. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection made it possible for us to overcome all of our hindrances. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection make it possible for you and I to get over all of our hindrances. That list is long. Some of us, we are too selfish to have good friendships. Some of us lose the battle in the mind. Like, we can't just shake the way we've been burnt before. We just can't overcome the battle of what we're thinking to ourselves, and it cripples us so that we can't form strong friendships because we're constantly overcome by the battle that's just between our two ears. I was actually watching a movie not long ago. It was like a remake of like a golfer. I think Bagger Vance was the guy's name. Um, that's about all I can remember other than this one quote. And it's like, what is the hardest shot in golf? And he's, the response was the seven inches between the ears. The mental game. You know, it's like, if we, if we think it, it be so. <laughs> you know, so you think somebody doesn't love you, you can actually make it that way. If you think that you can't be friends, it can be that way. And many of us, there's so much going on in our heads, we can't get through it. And others of you have really been hurt. Let's just be real. Let's, you have been hurt by people that should have loved you, whether it was birth family or friends or neighbors or whatever. And so there's so much hindering this. But if we are in Jesus Christ, the scriptures say that we can become one in Christ and nothing can hinder that. No bad experience, no brokenness can keep us from being one. And that's why we come to church all the time is to remember that it's here that we can be healed. 
we can, we can have that sense of oneness. So what do we do with this information today? Because I, to, I need to pause here so that we can leave off for next week. So what do we do with this information? The first thing, I almost feel like that we need to just have an out loud moment of just saying we need friendship. Do you feel comfortable saying that out loud? A count of three, one, two, three. We need, we need friendship. We need to admit that. There's so much of a mentality in the world today that's like, I'm just going to do it on my own. I don't need anybody. That is not true. We need each other. Just like somebody needs you, you need somebody else. And that's how Jesus intended for the world to work. We need to be honest with ourselves and admit our need for friendship. The second thing is we must practice. You don't have to say that out loud, but that's part of the reason why we do the hospitality in our service. Because some of you, if we didn't actually go to a microphone and say, right now we're going to practice hospitality, some of you would keep the same posture in church the whole time. You would just, you would be frozen. And, you'd, and now again, some of us, the only way we're going to become friends is if we don't let our introvertedness cripple us. And some of you need to dial back the extrovertedness because you're the reason why some of our introverts don't ever open their mouth. Right? And so there needs to be maturity and growth on both ends because we need to actually develop friendships and we have to know ourselves and we need to know where the struggles are so that we can begin to move forward. And so the only way you're going to figure it out is if you have a safe place to practice. And so there's certain things we practice here, but then we've got to get into our growth community life and practice other things in that safe confounds. And the best thing that our leaders can say at the beginning of a growth community night is, okay, guys, we're all here tonight to practice what it's like to actually be one in Jesus Christ. You just blew it, <laughs> right? That's not the way. Like you have, if, you, if you're learning a sport, the coach doesn't let you practice the wrong way, right? Because if you practice it the wrong way, when the game time happens, you're going to do it the wrong way. So the phrase, practice makes perfect, is actually a lie. Perfect practice makes perfect, right? Because if you do it the wrong way, it's going to have a negative outcome. And so we have got to figure out friendship here and practice it so that if we get a chance to bump up against somebody else, which we know is what the Lord wants, We've already rehearsed it enough that when somebody tastes friendship from us, they're like, oh, wow, that is good. And could you see now why the early church was growing by tens, if not hundreds, if not thousands every week? It's because slaves and masters were working together in love and friendship. Jews and Gentiles were working together in love and friendship. They were like, wait a minute, that is a total renewal of mind that you guys could be in a room together laughing and singing and eating a meal together. Don't you see how different you all are? Man, the early church had such a powerful testimony because they practiced. Some of you might just need to simply as, as this, is that you need a fresh taste of friendship. Some of you are like, you have said, I am not. I am done with friends. Those words have come out of your mouth. And my prayer for you today is would you be willing to try it one more time? Would you step into relationship with us through the church one more time? The fourth thing is that we need to intentionally live. We can't just by chance be good friends. We can't just by chance get this right. We have to take our day organizers, whatever you're using, whether you use a digital one on your phone, your watch, your iPad, a computer, or you do it old school in a notebook, whatever it is, or those of you that don't keep your life organized at all, you've got to figure out a way of doing it intentionally, saying, Father, here's my time. Here's the people in my life. Here are the places that I go. Here are the things that I'm doing. And I want to show the greatest love of all in the world displayed to other people, which is me laying my life down for them. So where in my calendar this week can I put laying my life down for people? We've got to figure out a way of intentionally living and welcoming strangers 
because the family of God is to be expanding. It's not complete. There's not a limited number of seats in the room so that we could just, okay, we, we can add like maybe eight more friends here, six more friends there, five more friends here, seven more friends, and then whoop, don't be friendly anymore, right? The family of God should be contagious and be spreading to other people. But here's the fifth and most challenging one, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this today, and then we're going to spend more time on it tomorrow into Easter. And I don't want this to be offensive because I know that some of us have had one-on-one conversations about this. So I did not write this point specifically for you. So if you feel like this was point for you, I want you to just say to yourself, the battle of the mind, the battle of the mind, the battle of the mind. Pastor Ellis is not abandoning my trust. This is just a fact of what's damaging friendships in our world today. We need to be rooted. Not rooted like, yeah, you go, you go, yay. Because there's a lot of fakeness of that in the world today. But what I'm talking about is rootedness, where you have roots that go down into a soil. Too many of us are trying to be plants that have no roots. We are trying to survive in some sort of life where we can just skim the top of the world and not root ourselves anywhere. And I believe that we have to resist the lure of mobility. I believe that the enemy in the world today, keeping the church powerless, is throwing out all of this fun bait and he's dragging it along and we're following after it, trying to catch up to it. And that allure is let's just see the world. That lure is I want to live in every major city around the world. I want to experience every people group. I want to, I want to go and experience this other great adventure because the enemy knows that the only way a plant grows, which is a lot of the scriptural references, is if you take root somewhere. And you allow those roots to go down deep into the soil and you allow the waters to, to come. And, and if the, even the winds and the stresses of life in that environment need to take place in order to force those roots to go down deeper even into the soil. Some of you have studied plant life and horticultural stuff and you could probably give a better lesson on it than I could. But you know that plants need the stresses of the environment around it in order to grow to its vibrancy. That's one of the reasons why the Friends of Patterson Park in the community around the park, are constantly pushing for you to plant what kind of flowers? Indigenous ones. Some of you are like, oh, what's the specific name? You know, some of them are very ugly, but they're indigenous. We actually, side note, we were doing a park cleanup there a few years ago, and we started pulling out the weeds, and somebody ran up to us and said, stop, 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 that's a Maryland, I'm like, it's ugly, it looks like a weed. But they had planted it intentionally, Right? Because, because it does thrive in Maryland culture and climate and soil and all of that. And, and so we need to literally consider the cost of what it looks like to say, I need to be rooted. And I'm going to share a little bit more on this, but I want you to understand the necessity of us considering what this looks like in our life. Because Galatians 5 is a very popular passage of Scripture, and you can read it more later. But he says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like the lead in to what you just talked about with the enemy, with the lure and us chasing after stuff. But listen to what he goes on to say. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I I, I would love for us to just meditate on that this week as we get ready for next Sunday Because um, rather than just celebrate our freedoms to indulge ourselves, we need to figure out the, the reason we were given our freedom was so that we could serve each other humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't have any neighbors, then you don't have to love anybody, right? So let's just stay mobile. Let's root ourselves. If you bite and devour each other, I love how he put this. Like Only Paul could be so blunt. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. And that's why many of us don't have friendships. We've been bitten and devoured by people with their words. Not necessarily with their physical threats, but their words have been destructive. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the desires of the flesh is to attack each other. The desires of the flesh is for me to be self-indulgent. 
The desires of the flesh is for me to see what value you have and what can I draw out of it rather than me laying my life down for you. It's a total reprogramming of our mind because we are wired to be all about us. The idolatry of self. And Paul is saying to them, you need to let the Spirit guide you so that you, can, you don't gratify those desires. But the fruits of the Spirit are this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is like patience and perseverance and long-suffering all rolled into one, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step in the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So the enemy is going to challenge us to provoke and envy and to covet and do all those things because he doesn't want us to be one. I'm going to pick up for James next week, but James 1 verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Can I summarize that? Rootedness. Every time we bump up against the challenge, we leave. Anytime relationships get hard, we leave. Now let me just pause. This is an asterisk in the verbal form. I am not saying every situation that is true. Some people are in violent and abusive situations that require a separation. That is not the topic of conversation today. This is normal friendship discussion here, not the extremes in relationships. The abuses of power are not what I'm talking about here. But what I'm talking about here is that we must persevere in our relationships if we are ever going to be fully mature in them. Let's not be a stunted, immature church. I would love for us to mature in this. And I believe it's a great way for us to get ready to end because we're reflecting on the Lord's table as it is. And when we come to the Lord's table, this is where we live out Jesus' command that there's no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. I mean, Jesus meant what he said, and he did what he said. And most of us won't have to go to this extreme of what Christ did, but yet we at least know that this is the heart of our Father in heaven, is this. And so the blood being poured out, the joy coming when we can look at each other and say to one another, Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ is coming again so that you and I can do the same thing in each other's lives. We can go through the hard times. We can go through the death. So we can experience the maturity and resurrection of what it looks like for us to keep moving forward and maturing in our faith. The tagline for this series is where I really want to bring it back. Risking yourself to align with our Father's heart. I mean, you might want to write that on the mirror in your bathroom this week. Put it on a card, use something that you can write on your mirror and later wipe it off. But you might just want to put that in front of you this week and just say, Father, am I risking myself to align with your heart? So what, how do we respond? There's really two different audiences that heard this today, and I want to speak to you both separately in closing. I simply think some of us, we could declare, and we're ready to declare, that we are going to be that type of friend. We are going to be the death, burial, resurrection friend. We are going to be willing to lay our life down for others. We are willing to sacrifice self so that others, and some of us need to today to just be an adamant, uh, almost, almost yet defiant and stone, some kind of way of saying, I am going to be a friend. And Barney chimes in, right? And purple dinosaur. Um, the second audience for us today, and some of you might actually be asking more questions than you are about wanting to be resolute in your determination. In your question, I may have an answer for, but it really is how we as a church respond. But your question most likely is, is well, is there a place where I can be loved like that? Does a place like that even exist? And I have to say, I thought that that was who we were as a church, but then the evil one comes and he whispers in my ear, and, and there's a lot of people in transition in and around our church family right now for a myriad of reasons. And, and I want to be confident and say, 
This is the place. But I'm going to be real with you today. You may have chosen a bad seat in the room. You might be sitting next to somebody that does not want to be your friend. And I am sorry. Because we're not perfect. There's no litmus test at the door. It's like a meter. And if you hit friendship perfectly, yep, you can come in. If you're not, we weed you out. We have no way of doing that. And I'll tell you what, there are some Sundays where I would not make it into the room. I'm just going to be real with you. Like, I'm, not, I'm not the perfect example of spiritual friendship. But I will say to those of you that are asking, would, does it do your heart any good to at least know we're asking the question? We want to mature as spiritual friends. We want to figure out what it's like to say no to self and say yes to others. We really are trying to figure that out. And so for those of you that are desiring, would you at least taste with us for a little bit longer? Which today's a great opportunity. Brunch is immediately after the service today. So there's really no excuse for you to put into practice what it's like for spiritual friendship. And some of you might actually need to say to some of your close friends, let's divide and conquer today because we're good. Let's go find somebody that's not so good and show them that they can find friendship here. Let's pray together. Father, for the two audiences, I just pray in Jesus' name, would we find it to be true? Father, would you help as many of us as possible today to be determined, resolute, to be friends as Jesus defines it? And Father, for those that are desiring to find a place Lord, could we please be that place? Would you help us to be intentional so that we create space where people can find true friendship? And Father, for those that are battling in their minds, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that Romans 12, 1 and 2 would be true, that there'd be a renewal of the mind. Lord, we need to get rid of lies and we need to be able to meditate and dwell and let deeply get into us what is true and right and noble and just. We want to think about those things, Father. And so, Lord, today, as we come to the Lord's table, would this bring us great joy because we have a living example of friendship. We have a living example of what the ultimate love looks like as we come to this table, a body broken for us, Jesus of blood poured out for our forgiveness of sins, Jesus, and an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus as Lord, giving us his same spirit. Praise the Lord. Father, continue to help us to focus on those things today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.